Since the inception of social media, drivers have had an incredibly strong presence across all channels. Whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and now TikTok, truckers dominate the space. So with recruiting and retention of drivers within the industry being an issue for a variety of factors, I always wondered why carriers and hiring firms don't utilize influencers within the industry more. Hello, everyone. My name is Blythe Bremleaf, owner and host of the DigitalDispatch.io podcast, also on-air host for Cyberly of Freight Waves. And I've been in the digital marketing game for more than a decade, working in and out of the logistics industry throughout that time. And I'm honored that you chose some time to spend with me today. Now, going back to the show topic, the phrase influencer is probably going to cause you to roll your eyes. But the truth of the matter is, if we're being honest with ourselves, that quote unquote word influencer has always been around and driven decisions that we've made. Therefore, in this show, I'm pulling two interviews we recently conducted on Cyberly, where I got to interview Tom Augenthaler of The Influence Marketer to discuss how businesses can start with influencer marketing. And then we've got Wayne Craig, who's been sharing his experiences on the road via social media as a trucking influencer for years. First up, let's set the stage with a particularly high-performing piece of content, or actually two pieces of content, from a gentleman by the name of Trucker Wazir from TikTok. And then we're going to use that as sort of a case study example to jump into our interview with Tom. But this came from the email, from what the truck's email earlier in this week about truck driver recruiting and how big of an issue it is. And it has been an issue for a while. It's something that's not going away, but we got some actual numbers in that was included in the what the truck email. With drivers still in short supply, carriers are having to increase wages by as much as 20% in some cases to help fill the seats. According to the TCA data, insurance costs as much of a insurance costs as a much of a percentage of revenue jumped 16% in the first two months of this year. Some analysts have also looked at headwinds as stumbling as a stumbling block in the first quarter, and they anticipate a full year of strong growth. Now with earnings rolling in, many carriers are hauling in the profits now. Covenant declared that this, they had the strongest first quarter in its history. However, if sustained elevations in both pay and insurance premiums don't keep pace with rates, decisions made now could come back to haunt carriers later on in the year. So knowing that context, let's go ahead and just put a pin in that because I'm going to read off a couple different stats as far as marketing budgets are concerned. Because more than 260 digital marketing professionals were asked about how they plan to adjust their advertising budget budgets for the rest of this year. They were surveyed by Nielsen and it indicates that most digital marketers plan to spend more on advertising this year than any other channels. And that and on those channels that are going to be benefiting the most. So how are those ad budgets evolving? What channels are they making those determinations for? They're increasing the spending on ad, social media ads first, then search ads, then video, and then email. And so while you're looking at this graphic, you can see on the left-hand side, you know, the, the things that are dominating, that social media, that search, that's video, that's email. And then where the spending is going to be decreased on the right-hand side of the graph, you can notice that print, radio, cinema will all have the biggest drops in spending. And so with marketers that are more comfortable with measuring ROI, they're going with email subscribers. And so if, if you're measuring the ROI of your marketing efforts, these marketers feel the most confident that they can measure the ROI with social media and with email and also with video. And so knowing all of that, I think there's some synergy that we can get to between how companies can adjust their budgets and then get drivers to encourage newsletter 
signups. Because if you take a step back and, and you think about where recruiters and even recruiting firms and other carriers are going to be spending their money, if these marketers within these companies or within other companies are very confident that they can detect ROI or even track ROI through these other mediums, through video, through email, and through social media, it kind of begs the question of, as if, if we're facing all of these issues, then why aren't these companies going out and seeking these drivers in order to work with these drivers as influencers, as brand ambassadors? Now, I'm a big fan of TikTok, and I randomly scroll it, you know, usually once or twice a day, I will go through my feed and find different engaging content. And I like to see how marketers or how companies are out there marketing their products and how they're doing it in a clever way. Or are they marketing themselves versus a product? It's really interesting to watch the shift in consumer attention and how we're spending our time online. And then thus how these creators are creating their messaging behind a lot of the goals that they're trying to get around. And one of those influence or one of those personalities that I came across was a, a guy by the name of Trucker Wazir. And he made a recruiting video and it was a really good one. Let's play it for you guys. There are over 1 million trucking companies in the United States. Can you guess which one I drive for? We are here at the headquarters of Stevens Transport in Dallas, Texas, where I learned the ancient art of truck driving. Stevens Transport has the industry-leading CDL training program. It only lasts three weeks and has a guaranteed hiring at the end of the school. At this very school is where I learned everything from backing and maneuvering to parallel parking to how to do a pre-trip. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just so nostalgic. I haven't been here since I was a wee lad. When I came to Stevens Transport, I didn't know one thing about truck driving. But by taking the training program, I went from absolute novice to being able to do my job effectively on a daily basis. Now, that is such a great example. And I thought for sure, watching it, I'm like, he's absolutely getting paid for this video. And I checked the comments. He is not getting paid for this video. He just made it on his on his own. And it was a great video. This is doing numbers on his account. Let, let's go ahead and check out another one talking about getting through truck driving school. This is three ways to get through driving school easy. Number one, study in groups. You can fill in the gaps that they have and they can fill in the gaps that you have. And in the end, you'll make some new friends in a new industry. Number two, use apps. I passed all my written tests the first time and I have to go back to the DPS because I study the apps. They have flashcards, video content, all kinds of stuff that will help you pass the test easy. Number three, get out of your head. I had to take the driving portion of my CDL test twice because I failed a parking because I got nervous and left my tire out. I came back and passed it on the second time, but I would have saved a lot of time if I would have stopped, breathed, and used what I learned in driving school. You can do this. Now, this gentleman has posted around 20 videos. He's amassed close to 300,000 followers and his content, just about 20 videos or so, has 3.3 million likes on it. And so for me, this is a golden opportunity for recruiting firms to use content like this and it's mind boggling why they aren't. And so if I'm in charge of recruiting at a big carrier, I'm immediately 
I am taking notes of that video that I just saw. And then I'm going to use that as an example to shoot out an email to all of my drivers and ask them if they'd be interested in starting up an influencer recruiting fund and how that fund would look like. What would the ramifications, not the ramifications, but what would that program look like from a detail level? Would you expect your drivers to create content every week? Would you almost make it a competition between them on who can get the most engagement, who can create, you know, the, the, the best videos, all of these videos that probably took him an hour and a half to shoot. He probably did it on his, on his downtime. And then it took him a little while to stitch it together and add in the different sound effects. I'm actually going to be working on getting him on a future show so he can break down exactly how he does it because that numbers don't lie. 300,000 followers and 3.3 million likes. And he's made around 20 videos that, that to me is incredible. And so I'm using that as a blueprint in my recruiting materials. And I would offer bonuses, offer bonuses for best, for best performing content. If I'm a recruiter, and I would also seek out that any content that's already performing well, instead of paying five grand for a print ad that you're not sure anybody is going to ever see, then why don't throw that five grand towards your drivers in order for them to make great content. And then you can use that content across all of your social media, your email, your website. And then it also increases your word of mouth marketing. It's just, it's, it's such a better use of money that you can see the direct, you can go into the comments of both of those videos right now. And you can see potential drivers who are now interested in becoming a truck driver who are looking for a new career. And they saw his video and liked his video. And that's that kind of introductory education content that I think not enough companies are taking advantage of, especially not in the trucking space. So if recruiting is an issue and marketers plan on spending more in the email and video realms, and they think that they can, and they strongly believe that they can measure ROI from social media and from video and from email, then combine those tactics together in order to reach your common goal of recruiting more drivers using content examples like this. All of those different, that's one of the better examples that I've seen as far as trucking related content over on TikTok, but it's a really good example. And the engagement on that is better than the overwhelming majority of companies that are putting out, you know, we need drivers, we pay, you know, such and such cents per mile. That's stuff just kind of uh, just falls beyond the wayside and that they're not necessarily sure that it almost blends together and, and looks the same as everybody else. And so to me, it's just a win-win situation where you're giving your drivers access to more bonuses outside of just the traditional pay that they normally get. And it increases your word of mouth marketing, and it puts the onus on the recruiting team to seal the deal. And I think that this is a program that you can rent and repeat for the future because this is where a lot of companies should be spending their time and energy and they're not. And so that means when they're not spending their time and energy and the numbers on videos like that prove that there is, there is advantages out there that you need to be thinking outside of the box to solve a very, very complex problem. And this is probably a really good chance to segue into our interview with Tom Augenthaler, who from, he's from the Influence Marketer. And Tom, I'm hoping you can shed some light on this for us because why don't you think more companies are taking social media influencer marketing seriously after I just got done ranting about? Well, I, I think that there's, um, there's probably several reasons for that. Uh, first of all, we're talking about a B2B arena here, and it's a little bit different than it is in the consumer arena. You know, think a consumer arena, think, you know, like Nike sneakers or, 
you know, fa- some other fashion thing or beauty products or something like that, where it's pretty self-explanatory. You've got a product, there's a, you know, you know, it probably doesn't cost very much to buy it for the most part. And, um, you know, you can watch or listen to somebody talk about it, explain it, educate you about it. You can say, hey, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to click the link and buy some of that. Um, in the B2B realm, it's a bit different. So as you were just explaining with that influencer, Wazir, I think his name was, um, yes. that's a great example of what's going on here. So he's just talking about what, you know, what he had to go through to learn how to be a trucker and the whole education process. So that uh, right there, if I'm, if I'm uh, looking to get into the trucking business and be a trucker, that's very attractive to me because that's another person who's doing it. Right. So it's not it's not some, I don't know, state website or something or some, you know, generic material about what you have to go through some blog post or something. It's, you know, a person talking about it, what he went through, how he did it, what, he, you know, what are the what are some of the tips to, to learn how to do it better, faster, uh, you know, like like cooperating with the other people that are doing it with you, you know, co-educating each other like that. Um, not not unlike you know, what you see people doing in a university environment, right, where they have study group teams and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty much the same theory there. But, you know, a B2B enterprise doesn't look at itself as necessarily appealing to the end consumer. So that's the reason why the idea of influencers doesn't come into the mindset, right? They have a staid way of marketing, and it's, you know, for decades it's worked. Um, but now things are shifting so rapidly that they've got to adapt. And if they don't adapt, they're going to get left behind. Why do you think that there's sort of a stigma attached to investing in social media more, investing into more creative content, like what, what we saw with, uh, w- with the trucking related content? Is, is there some kind of stigma, I think, around with like B2B companies and influencers? Well, yeah, there's the first of all is the word influencer. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. So when we think of the, the term, you think Instagram, you think of all of these different blowups that have happened that have been reported in the media about some of them being crybabies or whatever it is. And, you know, they, I don't know, they want free stuff. They don't want to have to work, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's um, that's the stigma. But the reality is quite different. So, uh, you know, a B2B firm doesn't have to worry about those types of influencers. What they're looking for is something completely different. So they're looking for, you know, probably guys and gals like Wazir, right? Um, if, if you're looking to, to, to get influencers to help recruit people for your trucking enterprise, well, that would be the kind of influencer you'd want to contact and engage. Um, maybe you're looking to get in front of your end customers a little bit better. The other, the other businesses that you, that, that you support that who are your customers. Um, and maybe those, maybe some of those influencers, uh, have a direct, you know, have the ear of those customers where you don't, and they understand them a little bit better. So you can, you know, work through those influencers to communicate with those customers, those end customers better, those other businesses. Now, you've been involved with influencer marketing for a very long time, much more, I think, longer than the the word influencer has sort of been like a common phrase that people know of. Can you give us a little bit of, of a background of your career and how you got started in influencer marketing? Oh, sure. I mean, I got started in it by accident. Um, I was at HP and I was, <laughs> I was part of their PR team there. 
And this is around 2007, 2008, and the economy was starting to tank and bad things were happening and banks and, you know, failing and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of other businesses were going out of business, including uh, magazines and media outlets, which I did business with. I, I relied on them to get the word out to my end customer, right? So when the, a lot of those were drying up, I was kind of flapping around looking for who else can I work with here to get the word out about the products so that the, the consumers know, you know, that we're the product that they're, they're going to want to look at. So I started working with bloggers because that's what they were known as in those days. <laughs> this is before a lot of the social media platforms really gained steam and things like that. I was that. a blogger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, exactly. I, 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 and, and what I found was that the bloggers had a great connection with the consumers that I wanted to reach on behalf of HP. So uh, it was it was a it was a natural fit. They produced content that resonated really well. It was very engaging. It was it was well thought out and um, created, and they were in constant contact with that audience. Where I wasn't, even though I was with HP, and you know we were, you know, a part of the PR team. Really, the, what the what a PR team does is interface with the media. So it's it's you know you're thinking about magazines and online outlets and you know newspapers and TV things like that, um, where we were really engaged with them. We weren't so engaged with the end consumer, and as a result of working with the bloggers, I became much more engaged with those end consumers. Then I could question those consumers and ask them things about what they were looking for, what they wanted to see in products, what they expected out of the brand, you know, or any any brand for that matter. And I got a lot of great intelligence and I brought that back inside to the organization and shared it. And, um, you know, they were like, wow, this is great material. It's better than the focus groups were, <laughs> were hiring to, you know, find this out from. Because a lot of focus group material is really just, you can just throw it out because it really isn't that helpful. Well, so you're in influencer marketing, you get started with the bloggers, and then you sort of go out on your own and you start up your own company. So what are the, I guess, the the common pitfalls that you're facing whenever you, or that a company is facing whenever you're approaching them about starting up an influencer marketing program? Is there any hesitation or are they more willing to sort of jump into it now? Um, I wouldn't say they're willing to jump into it. I'd say they put their toe in the water, right? Mm -hmm. So they they want to take the temperature and see what it's all about. They want to see how it works, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Well, not misinformation, but just it's just shallow information. It's not really complete information about how this is all done. And what material is out there? Most of it is geared around consumer stuff. So again, like beauty brands and you know, like L'Oreal and, you know, fashion brands and travel and things like that. So most of the material that's published about influencer marketing is, is focused on that. So that's part of the, the misconception there. So part, when I start working with a brand, it's a lot of it is right up front. I show the, I show them a pro, the process and then I talk to them about, you know, what's involved and how it works. So that right there, there's an education process. And once they start getting a little educated, they're like, oh, I get it. You know, this is how it works. And this is who we're looking for. And uh, this is how to set up a, you know, a relationship with one of these people. And, you know, that's another thing. I'm very key on the idea of long-term relationships with influencers mm -hmm. because they're going to be around for 
a long time, and they're not going away anytime soon. So you might as well get used to it, and you might as well start working with them now, because if you do, you're probably going to get ahead of your competition because they're not doing it. And you'll be establishing relationships with people who are probably going to be producing content like this, like Wazir, uh, for the foreseeable future. And, hey, get in on the ground floor now. I mean, you know, 15 years from now when he's doing, I don't know, whatever he's doing, he's probably still going to be producing some content. Because I've been working with some influencers for 10 years, and they're still doing the same thing. Hmm. And so when you are, are, are talking with the companies and say they, they're ready to move forward to that next step, are you providing a list of influencers to them or do they kind of have a good idea of who they want to chat with? Uh, is it, is it, I, I think a lot of times yeah. whenever I hear about influencer marketing, it's like, oh, well, look for the ones that have the real followers, not the fake ones. And, and I, I wonder how that falls into your workflow and process. Yeah, it's, uh, it, well, as I, as I, correspond and communicate with the people at the brand, I, I, at the company, I start to understand what kind of marketing they're doing. What have they traditionally done? What are they, you know, what are they looking to do that's a little bit different? Yeah. I ask questions about what they're doing on social media. You know, I, I, I look at, you know, their content marketing plan, you know, if they've got some campaigns, you know, coming out the next quarter, next couple of quarters, what do they look like? And that gives me a real window onto how they're thinking about things. Now, very often, there will be people inside the company that are already following some influencers. They just haven't reached out to them yet. And once I get a handle on what their ICP is, meaning their ideal customer profile, right, what does that ideal customer profile look like? Well, then we can we can really start to find the influencers who speak to those ICPs, so that we can start building that list. But uh, but it's sometimes it's a mixed plot. Sometimes it's they've got some people that they've been watching and they would like to include them in the list. And then there's you know there's other companies that are like we have no idea who <laughs> even start you know looking at right. and, and it's like okay but once i get the intel on how the company's operating like i said about content marketing and social media marketing all these other things and what their their ideas and where the, where do they want to go right what are their goals so mm. you know what are they looking to do by marketing through something like this is it to drive brand awareness is it to is it to you know is it to is it to to drive more uh consideration for their service or product so it depends on the goal and the objective, too, because some influencers are really good at driving awareness, and then others are better at, you know, actually selling the product or service, right? So you want to try to find the right ones for that customer journey, as we in marketing like to call it. You know, it's kind of a messy journey, actually, but <laughs> we like to pretend that it's like they go from point A to B to Z to C to D. To, you know, they go right down the right. little the little line, and then boom, they make you, you make a sale, and it's all closed, and everybody's happy. But idea, but really, it's a bit more like a, they're going around and they're looking, and, like know. a bowl but of spaghetti wanna, almost. Yeah, <laughs> you want to make sure that you are all in all those spots where they're going to go, and they keep coming back to you, right? And, and I, influencers I you... can fill the, a lot of those gaps. And I, I heard you mention too that a, a key part of finding out that journey, that spaghetti journey, is uh, psychographics. Can you break down what the psycho? Am I saying that right? Psychographics. I feel like I'm talking about a crazy person. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's not like uh, Mindhunter with, uh, you know, looking for, you know, hunting down psychopaths or something, serial killers. No, it's not like that. <laughs> it's like, you, could, you know, demographics, right? We've got, you know, the, you know, the age of the ideal customer, the, the gender, the role they're in now at whatever company it is, you know, if it's vice president, senior director, director, whatever it is, um, you know, where the geography, all that kind of stuff. Psychographics is more about, all right, what are their pain points, right? What are they, what are the, what's the trouble they're encountering, encountering now and how can it best be solved? Where, where do they want to go, right? In their own career and in with, on behalf of the job they're in, what are they looking to achieve? What is the company looking to achieve, right? So if you if you could start to picture some of this and start to figure out how these people are thinking and how they're operating, then you could figure out where they're going for their information, hmm. right? So and then, who yeah. they're following, right? Now, who they're following, that's a big deal. So, you know, uh, you know, I think a lot of aspiring truckers might be looking at Wazir and saying, hey, you know, this is a, this is a guy who's, you know, he's, He's laying it out there. He's telling it like it is. Man, this is what I want, right? This is like for a few, you know, watching a few of his videos, I've learned more in 10 minutes than I would reading all these blog posts and stuff for two weeks, right? So it's also, and it's a person. So he's very personal and he's kind of funny. And he's, you know, it's like, so it's going to resonate with you a lot better as a, as a watcher, as a viewer. Right. So that's one of the other benefits of influencers is, is they have a way of telling stories mm-hmm. and they tell stories in a way that resonates with other people, because that's how we remember things. We remember things in terms of stories. I mean, to this day, people are still talking about the Iliad and the Odyssey, which are really just elaborate stories in college. Right. And that's why a lot of books stick around for as long as they do. Like the great Gatsby, for God's sake, was written in the 1920s. Right. But I mean, people are still talking about it because it's a great story. Right. So if you could get people like influencers to tell the story about your brand or whatever product or service it is that you have, that's going to resonate a lot more with the, the, the end customers you're trying to reach. And I, I was sort of harping on this for a while when I was breaking down this story and showing how good his videos are. And to me, if I'm the company that he's driving for, or maybe a competitor, I'm seeing this content and I want him driving for me and I want to use Mm -hmm. his content. And I'm having a hard time understanding why a company wouldn't reach out to a driver and say, I will pay you for this. You've already created it. I'll pay you for this content, or I want you to make something special for us. Am I off base in that thinking? No, you're not. Um, a, a lot of companies don't know what to do with it. I mean, they look at it and they're like, wow, was yours like boosting all these videos and stuff? Like, uh, should we do anything with that? I mean, should we reach out to him? Um, what do we do with a guy like him? Well, get used to it because more and more people are going to do it because all of these social media platforms are enabling each and every one of us to become a content creator. Every one of us can have our own channel, right? I mean, think of it on YouTube. I bet you, I bet you 90% of this audience right now watching your show live goes on to YouTube and watches podcasters there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, look, think about Joe Rogan. Who is Joe Rogan? He's a, he's a stand-up comedian who was on Fear Factor. Okay. I never really watched Fear Factor. I knew what it was, but I 
never really watched it. But or they eat gross stuff. Yeah, they eat gross stuff. And do <laughs> and do things crazy things. Like, yeah, yeah. Get you get you out of your comfort zone, I guess. And <laughs> uh, you know, but but watch his podcast. He he talks to some of the most interesting people, and the I mean, he, he talks to them for like two hours at a pop. You know, so uh, you know, it's it's engaging, it's thought provoking, it's educational, and it's everything TV isn't, right? So it's regular people who are creating content and, you know, they're, they're voicing their experiences and their stories. And I think a, a company like that was yours working for would be really smart to reach out to them and say, hey, we love what you're doing. This is great. Keep it up. You know, maybe we'll pay you a little extra to do more. You know, uh, uh, and, and that was my first thought is why not? If you're that company, he's already making the recruiting material for you. So pay him some extra yeah. bonuses and then you can use that in all of your different marketing. And it's an extra income stream for for the drivers in, in order to to pursue and, and get better at it and and do have something creative to do in their off time. Um, so I but there is also the flip side of it where should companies as especially trucking companies whenever they're reaching out to drivers what are some of the pros and cons i guess of of user generated content should it sort of be just let them create and you'll pick out what you like the best or should there be some kind of parameters what what are those some of those pros and cons yeah you're always going to want to work within some parameters and i actually i think creativity works better when it when you're giving somebody some parameters because it forces them to, to to think about it a little differently and probably a little bit more, you know, for lack of a better word, creatively, right? So they're going to, the, the parameters you're going to want to put are probably going to be pretty wide guardrails, but at the same time, you know, some of the things like don't trash competitors, um, you know, you're not going to want to talk about uh internal things of the company that you might know about that are going on. Don't talk about personal changes in the company. You know, if some executive left or something like that, just, you know, just, it's not important anyway, from the point of view of your viewers, um, it, it just stay away from that kind of stuff and stick to what it is that you're doing with the company and how you're doing it. Right. Because honestly, a guy like Wazir working for that trucking company He's a good window into how that company thinks and how what its values are. And that's very important to younger people today who are looking to get hired, right? They're they're not just they don't want to just get hired by any company. They really a lot of them want to find a company that sort of matches their values to a degree and you know thinks the way they think. So it's not really so much about just signing on and getting paid and blah, 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 blah. No, I'm just another cog in the machine. It's like, well, I want to be able to contribute something more to the world. And, you know, Wazir's doing it through his content. And look at he's 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 doing a great service. At the same time, you want to make sure they don't go off the reservation, so to speak, right? I mean, for lack of a better right. term, okay? So you don't you want to make sure that they don't just wander off into the wilderness and, you know, start talking about things that are, you know, unrelated to trucking, right? Uh, and and that was make- actually going to be my next question was, was should companies have a social media policy when it comes to their drivers or should it only apply to the content that they're creating? Anybody they employ should be following some guidelines. I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, some companies have a lockdown mentality, Blythe. And I mean, I, 
I have worked for some of those companies, right? I mean, I remember, you know, this is a long time ago, and I don't think it's <laughs> the case today, but HP at the time, when I was part of their PR team, we had a lockdown. No employees spoke to any influencer or PR or, or media person without going through the PR department. And there were some good reasons for that, right, um, at the time. But nowadays, I think you can relax some of that, uh, not in regards to media outlets. I, I think that that's probably pretty true. I think the PR department should have well, the, the first word and last word on that. But I think that in terms of social media, what's to stop employees from talking about, hey, you know, this is how we, you know, this is how we think when we're putting together our products or our services. And this is how we operate. This is how we treat our customers. And this is how we listen to our customers. And, you know, this is how we came up with this idea and we decided to put it out there. Uh, there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, I think that that's, that's great because that tells, that's telling the strengths of the firm and it shows that people are enthusiastic to work there. Um, when I was still at HP, some of the first, you know, first company people that started doing this were people like Robert Scoble. And Robert works for Microsoft and Robert started a blog and that's how he began doing what he's doing today. Now he's, He's, he's doing stuff with virtual reality and artificial intelligence, I think. But uh, uh, Robert started when he was with Microsoft, and he had a simple blog. And really, we just talk about, hey, this is what we're doing at Microsoft. And this is how we think about things. And this is, you know, this is how we, we approach product development. This is how, you know, we market it. And this is, this is why, right? And people found that interesting because it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not stuff you're going to find in a press release, Right. And, and would you say that that's a good example of how, because I know that we've talked a lot about driver recruiting in, in this show, but logistics obviously touches a, a lot of different points in, in different careers and, and, and different aspects. What are some other applications of, of how influencers can be utilized within other sectors of the logistics industry? Well, I mean, yeah. All right. So you've got um, their connection with your ICP, your ideal customer is one thing, right? So right there, if if you're using if you're working with influencers intelligently, you're going to be asking them a lot of questions. So it's like, what are you hearing out there in the marketplace? You know, you can get market intelligence from them. Um, you know, they're part of very often they're part of other groups of influencers who chat a lot together. So you know, they'll be hearing things about different brands. They'll be hearing things about the industry in general. They'll be hearing about technological improvements that are being implemented somewhere, you know, in the industry. Um, they're going to be, you know, hearing about you know, all sorts of things like that. So, I mean, that's one of the things to really leverage influencers for. It's not just putting out content. I think brands get caught up in this. This is, this is a, a big stumbling block for them. They think, well, here's another outlet. Let's just push some content out through these influencers. Well, that's not the way to think of it. Instead, think of it as a an opportunity to co-create content together. Mm. So bring them into the fold a bit. Let them understand how your company operates, right? And that means giving them some exposure to the management of the company, right? Let them get to know you a little bit, right? Let them get to know how the company thinks and operates. Now, I mean, a, a brand that does this really well, I'm going to go back to the consumer arena for this, but they do this really well, is L'Oreal. L'Oreal has a uh, small group of influencers that are 
very, I guess, you know, they're, they're kind of the cream of the crop as far as L'Oreal is concerned. And they invite these influencers in to come visit the company headquarters, meet with the executives, check out the labs, see how the, see how the products are, you know, develop, things like that. You know, sit down with the executives, get to know them, do a little whining and dining with them. And then what they do is they take that all that messaging out and they and they and they talk about L'Oreal in very positive terms because of that. Now, what that does is it resonates throughout the influencer sphere, if you want to call it or influencer. I used to call it the blogosphere. We'd have to call it something else these days. But it, it would <laughs> it, it, they would. They, it, all that messaging matriculates out because a lot of up and coming influencers will follow those people, right? So they want to they want to emulate them, right? So so and so became an insider with L'Oreal. How do I become an influencer like that, right? How do I build my own brand like that? So they're going to follow those influencers. So the point is, is that you have influencers in the logistics industry that are doing similar things. Uh, the idea is to get to know them, bring them in, befriend them, make relationships with them. You could co-create content with them. You can also get market intelligence from them. You can find intelligence out about how your customers are thinking, you know, what they're feeling, uh, what they're worried about, what they're excited about, all those psychographics we talked about before. You can get a lot of that through some of the some of the influencers you're working with. And, you know, you could even, you know, can even do more than that. I mean, you could invite the influencers in at some point to, you know, actually host some of your events, right? You can ask them to MC some of your events. You could because what that does is is it 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 makes the content even for your internal communications a lot more interesting, right? And fun. <laughs> and fun, right? I mean, it's it's more engaging and it's and it's actually the employees can actually learn something because you know, let's face it, a lot of a lot of I there was one executive when I was at HP. I will not name names. This guy <laughs> walked onto a stage. He sucked the air right out of the room. It's like every, it's like everybody in the room is just like <sighs> they're like all their eyes would glaze over, and everybody would just be sort of droning off into like you know dreamland or something. They wouldn't even be listening. But some people are like that, right? They're just right. not dynamic, exciting speakers. Well, a lot of the influencers are because they're they're so used to creating content and and being in front of people that they're really engaging, right? That's why they develop followings. I mean, Wazir is you know just his is what you were talking about in terms of what he's built on TikTok is fabulous, and that shows that he's really engaging. And just watching the clips that you showed here on the show, I was like, boy, that guy's really entertaining. I I would I would watch him just to learn more about what it's like to be a trucker. Right. <laughs> right. Just from the educational standpoint. And I, and I think that that sort of speaks to the larger role of, you know, a, a, so many people learned the importance of supply chain and logistics last year when, when all of their goods that they're ordering are affected. And I couldn't help but but think about previous instances where I've been invited to do warehouse tours and I've been inside of a trucking office and been able to see how the sausage is made. And I think your L'Oreal mm -hmm. example is a really great example that other companies can take from that, that when, you know, you're, you're technically safely allowed to 
allow people back into the workplace and allow them to take those kind of tours. I think that that is a great example of how you can involve some of that behind the scenes, you know, content getting made and allow people, allow the creative people to be creative. Now, I, I want to get into a couple more questions because because we got a few minutes left. Now, from the, the let's go back to the drivers for a second. Are there any challenges for working on an influencer deal with a company that also employs you, or is that kind of just a, a synergy that they can develop? I think it's a synergy they can develop. I think the company has to be a little enlightened and think a little differently about their employees. So the employees are not just clocking in time and then you're just paying them every two weeks. It's a little more about, well, hey, look, these are the people that are making everything run, right? So I think employees very often are, they're not, they don't, they're not given the respect they're due, right? I think um, some executives are very focused on shareholders, especially if it's a public company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, rightly so. Shareholders are extremely important, right? They're the ones that are buying the stock and doing things like that. But your employees are the ones making the business run, right? So they're the ones answering the phones, answering the emails, developing the presentations, coming up with product, coming up with new services, figuring out licensing deals, you know, handling your risk management, all these other things, right? You know your, your your logistics and everything else. So the, you know the employees are are critical to it. I think the I think the the employees also should start thinking about their role a little differently as well. I think a lot of employees might be thinking, well, you know, I'm being paid and I do my job and that's it. Well, is that all your career is to you, um, mm -hmm. or do you want to do something more? That do you want to have more of an impact? Because let me tell you something: the average employee inside of a company is a lot, their role is a lot more interesting to outsiders than that employee would initially think. I think a lot of employees fall into the trap of thinking, well, what I do is really ordinary. It's not that exciting. It's not that thrilling. But you'd be surprised because, like, for instance, Wazir, again, going back to him and talking about trucking and what it was like going through the trucking school to, to learn how to become a trucker. I didn't know it. I didn't know those things. So I was looking at that saying, wow, I just learned something today. You know, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, so that's that's what a lot of employees could do. And what they do is they breathe life into your brand by doing that when they talk about it. So if they're talking about it on LinkedIn or you're doing it on Twitter, they're getting on and maybe they're maybe they're blogging, right, as part of part of your company blog. You know, you got people that want to contribute. I'll bet you have people that want to contribute. All the brands listening right now, I bet you've got employees that would like to contribute. They just don't know how. So what you need to do is open up the door a little bit and say, hey, if you'd like to contribute and you'd like to put out some stuff on social media, even our own company's social media channels, you know, let us highlight you and let's give you some basic guidelines to operate under and then you know let's 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 experiment a little and see how it all goes because if you look at typical company channels on a on a platform like LinkedIn the engagement rate usually is really low right because they're just pumping out company announcements it's like we got new hirings we've got you know we've got a new product it's me out. me me it's all me 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 it's never about well what are we doing for you Right? Are we helping you enough? Here's some content for you to make your life a little easier. Right? That's what the influencers very often do. They come up with content that's trying to help people. And I think if brands thought of it that way, they could leverage their employees to do that. So they wouldn't have to come up with the content themselves. The employees would already think of it and they could just leverage that. 
And I think that they could also gamify it as well, offer incentive bonuses for the highest performing content and and make it almost like a game between, you know, and rewarding, you know, maybe like a first, mm. second and third place of the month each month. And and if you're spending any kind of money in these other mediums, like, I, you know, on average for a print advertising, I think it used to go for like anywhere from five to 20 K depending on the magazine publication. And if you just take a fraction of that budget and offer that to your drivers or your employees as another incentive method, then you're creating that, you're creating that marketing awareness, that, that, uh, word of mouth marketing that, Hey, did you check out this video? I, I sent that, that TikTok from Wazir. I sent it out to several different people. Like, check this out. Look at how good this video is and how much you can learn in just one minute clip. And it was just, it, it's, it's that easy, but it's also that difficult because clearly put a lot of research into that and the edited and you know the sound effects and everything like that so on the on the influencer side we've talked a lot about how companies can kind of protect themselves um, with having you know sort of generic social media policies and things like that but on the influencer side how can they protect themselves for maybe companies who don't know what they're doing like you, you mentioned earlier that the educational gap of even getting started with influencer marketing is is pretty wide so how can these influencers protect themselves from a company that says, Hey, you know, that sounds good. We want to start doing it. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that the influencers, um, unless the influencers new to the game, they already have worked with some brands before. So they have a pretty good understanding about how to, how to work with them. Um, you, there's a couple of different ways to do it. I've got influencers that I develop contracts and then, you know, we, we, we sign contracts. This is what is expected of you. This is what's expected of us for this campaign. And boom, you know, this is the way we're going to operate. Now, very often those are, those are sponsored, right? So there's, there's some kind of, there's an exchange, there's a value exchange in terms of money, right? So we're paying the influencer to produce some content for us. But if, the, if it's earned, con what's known as earned content in, in marketing, meaning, you know, I, I approach the influencer and the influencer says, yeah, yeah, that'd be really interesting. You know, I mean, I'd like to have that executive on as a guest on my podcast. No charge, no nothing like that. You know, uh, right there, I, I think that everything can be worked out through a simple email exchange or, uh, you know, you get on a Zoom call with them and, and you just talk to them for a few minutes and, and get a, a feel for how they operate and how you operate and just sort of verbally agree as to how things can be done. Um, I don't see influencers in the B2B realm getting taken advantage of too often. Uh, most of them are, you know, they're pretty savvy people. I think that some of the newer people coming up, some of the younger people might, you know, they might, they might be a little gullible maybe. Uh, I think that where the influencer could be taken advantage of is when the brand wants lots and lots of content developed for not a lot of compensation. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's where the trouble comes in because really, look, you know, a guy like Wazir, you could look at that video on TikTok and go, oh, that must have been pretty simple to make. But to your point, Blythe, you just pointed out how much editing that guy probably did to those videos to make them so succinct, hard hitting and 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 fun um, that he put a lot of effort into that. I mean, he he he, he probably spent. I don't know, a couple hours maybe putting together some I, of those. I, I, th I think he probably spent 
one to two hours brainstorming it. And then after he shot all of the footage, which is only a few, I mean, you're, you're setting up the camera, you're doing the shot, you're saying, yeah. is that a good take or not? Then you're redoing the shot when it's not. And then afterwards, you're editing it for probably two hours for just that one minute video. So it's, it's yeah. a lot of work that is involved with creating content that I think yeah. a lot of companies don't realize. Yeah, I, I, it's another thing. Also, keep in mind, uh, brands should keep in mind that companies should keep in mind that, you know, if you're asking an influencer to write a blog post, an 800 to 1000 word blog post, well, that takes time. It's not that they just whip it out in 20 minutes and it's done. I mean, you know, it's it's writing is sort of an agonizing process and could take several hours just to develop that. So, uh, you know, the same with and video can be even more intensive depending upon the, the video at the length of the video. And, you know, are you going to include captions in it, right? I mean, well, all of these things, and how are you going to brand the framing of the video? So, I mean, all of that requires special software to do, and it requires a certain level of expertise if you want it to look, you know, quasi-professional. So I think that that's one of the ways the influencers can get taken advantage of. It's like, like, hey, you know, a company could reach out to them and say, hey, we'd love to work with you, blah, 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 blah. Can you do a series of videos on this, this, and this? And it's easy to get wrapped up in from the influencer's point of view to saying, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden they're doing, you know, 18 hours worth of work and they're not getting, and they're getting paid on three or four hours worth of work. Right. right? So I think the influencer needs to think pretty carefully about how much time it's going to take, you know, their workflow and, and what it takes to produce that kind of content. Be honest with yourselves about how much time it takes. I'm not saying, you know, you know, pad it, but I'm just be honest about it, right? And put um, it in writing. I, I think that that's all, you know, re- really great writing. insight. And then Even that way everybody clear. An email exchange or something like that. I mean, at least it's in writing and, you know, you've got a company representative who agreed to it. So, you know, very often in the B2B space, I find that that works or an SOW, you know, a, a statement of work, something like that. Uh, all, all really great insight, Tom. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Now that the business side of the case is made, let's hear from Wayne Craig, who gives a couple of personal stories into how he's worked with carriers and companies in the past on creating influencer-generated sort of recruiting-style content, and how he was ultimately burned from it. But he's had good cases and bad cases, and he's going to share both of those perspectives and how drivers can protect their content in the future, and how one little tip can help businesses with their retention, which is almost a bigger problem than recruitment itself. So let's hear from Wayne. So zooming out to the big picture, according to recent estimates from eMarketer, U.S. social network video ad spending in 2020 will grow by 31% year over year to more than $19 billion. So let's not lose sight that all of these platforms are also adding an e-commerce functionality. And so in most cases, following the money is really a solid strategy for any business. But in this case, it's following where the attention is going because that's where the money is going as well. So speaking of attention, speaking of social media and TikTok, now is a good time to segue into our first guest, Wayne Craig. He is formerly known as Trucker Wayne, but he stepped away from the industry due to health reasons. Is now he's biking across the country to raise awareness for the health of our nation's drivers called Highway to Health while he's documenting it all over social media. So if you follow him on any of the accounts, you'll be able to see his updates for this Highway to Health campaign. And we're going to get more into that 
in a little bit. But the reason I wanted to bring Wayne on today is so we can really dive into the topic of working with trucking influencers. We talked about that in depth on last week's episode from the business side of things, but now we're going to get it from the driver side of things. So let's go ahead and welcome in Wayne to the show. So how hey, hey how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I stopped about an hour ago and uh, yeah, I did another 30 miles, almost 400 miles down. Oh my gosh. And so you almost 400 miles down. I think you, you said yesterday on what the truck, which was a great interview. Everybody should go watch that as a little bit more, you know, in, in depth detail of your, of your campaign. But I think you also lost like close to 25 pounds already too. Yeah. 23 pounds in the last two and a half months. So that's been good. Uh, I went from Traverse city up to the bridge. I actually had a medical assistant with me and we were checking my blood pressure. It has went, it has come down. I need it more about 150 now. So uh, I'm excited about the loss and weight. Today I did 30 miles and there was hardly any hills and I did it like it was pretty easy. So things are really looking good. Amazing. That, that That's incredible to see because I know that it, it comes, it's a campaign that comes from a good place, which speaking of coming from a good place, we, we brought you on to talk about the, you know, sort of the, the social media vibe of how companies today it can relate and work with the drivers of today because truck drivers have one of the best social media games really in the entire industry. They have hundreds of thousands of followers on some of these accounts and, and from I guess mainly the, the the business and carrier side of things of what we covered last week. Now we want to get from the driver side of things because you've had direct experience and you almost have a cautionary tale. Can you give us a little bit of background of how you sort of got started with social media and how it's evolved into the the business opportunities that that you've been getting? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I started over eight years ago when I was in the truck driving school at C1. Uh, Driver Solutions reached out to me. I just got into school. They run the C1 schools as well. Asked me to start documenting my journey as a uh, as a beginner in school and follow me. And that's really, it started from there. Uh, pretty excited to do it. They saw my photography. I was able to uh, push my photography as well. And they were willing to let me do this. I worked with Driver Solutions for six years. It was a really good, it, it worked really well. Um, it turned into, and I think people forget if you're watching this, there's a difference between a digital marketer and a content creator. I consider myself a content creator, and, and I had a good a relationship with the digital marketer. If you can have a good relationship with the digital marketer and the digital marketer can, can really you know feed off of the content creator, it works out really good, and it worked out good for me for six years. Then it turned into, um, we just kind of, I personally ran out of topics, and we went our separate ways, and I worked with a couple trucking companies and and not very successfully. So that's kind of why you and I were talking about bringing me on and maybe I could talk a little bit and I can answer any questions that you have. Absolutely. Before we jump into that aspect of it, you mentioned that the the digital marketer relationship was a good one. Give us a little bit of insight of why you think that was a good relationship. Was it editorial freedom or did they sort of feed you ideas or they were just open to any ideas that you have? Yeah, everyone knows I worked with Derek McLean, one of the better digital marketers in in, in Indianapolis area. And when it first started out, he was absolutely 100% feeding me ideas. It turned into, hey, Wayne, can you talk about this? But yet yet I had the freedom to talk about my day and uh, talk about what it was like in my first week and my second week. It's all still out there. Uh, Luckily for me, Driver Solutions, I had a great relationship. It's all still there even eight years later. But then it turned into where 
the more I did, um, for example, five years ago, he, he said, hey, uh, video is the way to go. You got to get some videos in there. And he helped me along as I got progressed better and better. Then I became a much more of a of a social media um, creator and a content creator. And then it really turned into um, just bouncing stuff off of each other. He was a marketer. I was the content creator. This is where this is where I think a lot of things fail, where it was two people working together to produce a quality product. And uh, really, it really worked well because everybody knew who Trucker Wayne was and still still do to some extent. But uh, that that relationship of I don't want to look at just those deep numbers that the digital marketers look at. Now, I don't want to worry about exactly what you were talking about earlier. You guys dive deep into these numbers and and, uh, the Google analytics and everything. I was just able to express and be a creator and he was able to push them numbers. It worked really well. That's amazing. I, and so he was, it sounds like he was way ahead of the game, which is, which is really, really great to hear that that was started so long ago, but there are, you mentioned a couple instances, especially last year in 2020, where you had offers from two separate companies to make some content for them, but it ultimately fell through without naming the companies. Can you tell us a little bit why those deals fell through? Absolutely. And anybody that knows me too, I don't throw anyone under the bus. That's not what I do. I think that's why I've been able to, until I get too opinionated, I do think that's been a thing where I've been able to flourish in this. But 2020 was pretty pretty hard because trucking companies seem to have, their their profit margins are so thin. And I started out with just a handshake deal and let's maybe get this done. And uh, one word, one thing for someone who's, you, you have to know your worth as a content creator. I don't want, and I've actually done some videos on this, I don't want to collab. I just don't want the word collab to me just means, okay, you're going to give me a GPS and I'm going to talk for two months on it. And and I need to know money to me. I want money and get paid for my content. When people say collab, you need to know your worth. So basically it's first, the first company is just a kind of a handshake deal. Um, You know, this is what I was going to do. Uh, It it was going to be perfect. It was going to be me like halftime in the truck, and uh, halftime, just really just social media, being a trucker and a true content creator, but I could still call myself a trucker. And then, like it usually does in the trucking industry, uh, it turned into that it was going to be incentive-based, you know, uh, incentive-based. And if I wanted to be a salesman, I would be in sales. <laughs> and right. <laughs> it, it, was really frust- it was really frustrating because that wasn't what the deal was. It was been like the perfect job for a truck driver who does good content creation still be in the truck, but yet talk about the company and be a content creator. Then all of a sudden it was like, well, it's going to be based on how many people watch your stuff, how many people you bring in. And that just fell apart pretty quickly. The second one, I just started to learn if, if you're a driver out there, oh, they're killing it on TikTok and YouTube. I, I'm not quite sure what, what the trucking companies don't understand about their individual truckers. There are some women truckers on TikTok that are getting millions and millions of likes. And uh, I'm not quite sure why they can't grab a hold of some of these women and, and say, hey, how would you like to work for us? It's always a collab thing. Well, the second one, it said, okay, I'm, I'm going to, let's go month to month. Another now, there was no paperwork signed, but I, I trusted them. Let, let's go month hmm. to month. Let's just, you know, easy out, easy out for, for everyone sure. because profits are thin. They don't believe in content creation. They got a digital marketer already that they're paying and, and, but I'm the creator and, uh, that turned in pretty poor too, because after a month and a half, 
you know, I can basically. And I don't, like I said, we're not naming names here, but they didn't even follow through paying me for the month. So, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is where as a driver, you need to be aware of things. If, if, if there's, I personally believe if you're a good content creator, like many people, many truckers are, I think it's eventually going to be where the, the trucking companies realize, let's take this person, let them create content, let's pay them for it, and really pay them for it, and uh, see what happens. I think it's untapped, and I think it could be huge. And, and and on the flip side, I, I was making the argument last week that if you have already been creating content, like the, the the trucker that we mentioned last week's show, he made a recruitment style video that was incredible. And if I'm that carrier, I'm going to pay for that video that's already done, that I know it's already performed well. Are there any companies out there that you know of that are saying, hey, I really liked this video that you did. Do you mind if we share it? Do you mind if we pay you for it? Are, are they doing anything like that? Not, not that I know of, because what it comes down to is um, they'll they'll reach out and uh, oh, during 2020, during the pandemic, I had 20 or 30 companies reach out to me and mm-hmm. really like my content, what I was doing. Now I wasn't being opinionated, which some people know I can be. I wasn't. I was directing it towards the pandemic, and, it, and they were like, "We would love to share it. We would love to do this." And I'd say, "Well, are you willing to pay up?" It really came down to pay life. It really, it really came down to, are you going to pay me to share it or, or grab a hold of this and then, and then use it? And, and it basically, no, it came down to no, now, now that's only my experiences. So I'm sure there's people out there. I know a guy from Canada that was, um, his company was really supportive of him, but I do think, I do think you have to worry about, and I'm sure and I've had meetings and, and they worry about the content if they let someone like me just fly and they see I've done something before and okay, that doesn't quite make the message that we want, but yet they're getting hundreds of views for that company that they would never have. And this goes back to um, digital marketers. You've really hit the jackpot. If you have a digital marketer that can create good content, you hit the jackpot. Because I believe there, and I said this earlier, there, there are two separate things. So if you have a marketer that can create content, but when you're in truck driving, how many digital marketers can hop into the truck? I think we need to put right. the two together and work on that. And, and that's been a problem in sort of the influencer, especially when, you know, beauty influencers and, and fitness influencers over on Instagram, that is a huge issue for them because they're there. You can't pay your bills with perks. You, the, content takes a long time to brainstorm, to shoot, to edit, and then publish at the, at a good time that you think that your followers are going to be online. It's a lot more work than what you see out of the, the one minute result video that, that comes your way. And so that, I, I feel like there's a good balance that a lot of these companies can be making by saying, Hey, we're going to pay you for this one video that we know is already done well. And then that way they remove the risk from their side, but then the driver's are also still getting paid for the content that they're creating. But if you're going to go into it from a business perspective, I, I, I strongly believe that you should be able to give your drivers, I mean, have a couple parameters as far as, you know, maybe anti-hate speech or, or something along those lines. But then you can go into a situation where you're giving your driver or you're giving your influencers the creative freedom to make that content that they've already been pretty successful at. Otherwise, why would you be reaching out to them? Are there any warning signs for, for other truckers that, that, that they should look out for when being approached by companies in order to work with them? 
Uh, absolutely. Um, the first thing is, is, is just be honest with them. Tell them what you want. Uh, and another thing is, um, are they giving you a product, like one thing, like one GPS, and then they're going to get two months worth of work? Or this is another thing. It might be pretty cool if they give you access to an app, if you're an owner op. And it costs maybe a hundred dollars a month to use it and to see the loads and everything. And, and you're getting a hundred dollars every month off to use your app for free and talk about it. There's so many different things that that's payment. You know, that that's true. Like that's, they're, they're showing an interest in you and, and they're, and they, they're investing in you in just giving you like a product. And you said this earlier, the beauty, uh, the beauty influencers, I've been in this long enough and on uh, Instagram and you know it as well as I do, how many times you hear someone just break down and say, I'm taking a break. And it's because mm. they've collabed and made nothing. Mm. So just just be aware of what they are offering you. And know. And I've said this earlier, but know your worth. And, uh, you know, hey, if you're just starting out, it might be good. But then always know that you need to reach a little higher each time. And if they're not willing to invest, I recently and and I they called me up and they were getting this new app, really cool for the trucking industry. And he wanted to pick my brain. And I was mm. very honest with him and said, Well, if you're gonna pick my brain, why don't you pay me? Well, let's True. just talk. Yeah, let's just talk. <laughs> so for 30 minutes, I'm in Boise and uh, you know, we talked, and I told him, I said, I don't believe this is gonna lead somewhere. And, and I'm not I'm not uh, really feeling good about this, so I'm going to end it. And I said, if mm. you want to talk more, call me and you can pay me. And he never called me and he never paid me. So, yeah, that that's definitely a red flag when when somebody just wants to have a pick your brain meeting because then it's very one sided and they get all the market research and then you're kind of left with nothing when you've probably spent years. You said you've been eight years on social media, so you spent eight years building your audience. And for a lot of companies out there, they need to if you're going to approach influencers, you should trust that whoever you're approaching has a good audience and has a good relationship with their audience. And so making sure you know they. they they haven't paid for followers. It's not a lot of bots on their account. And then once you've gone through those red flags, then it's diving into letting them have that creative freedom in order to speak to their audience in a way that is the, the most beneficial to that crowd. And so with getting drivers to notice your company, that is a huge hurdle, and especially getting them to apply and then become part of your team. But another what, big one is the onboarding process where a lot of companies can fall short. It's where a lot of the retention issues of the, the quote unquote driver shortage comes into play, which from what I understand is more of a retention issue rather than a driver shortage issue. So how can companies keep that positive momentum going from the application standpoint and getting the driver through the door to keeping the drivers happy? And, and that's a great question because uh, I've talked a lot. I believe there is a shortage to some extent and people will argue with that, but it's about retention and nobody wants to talk about retention of drivers. And I have very quickly, I have a unique in hospitality. I turned around three large companies, including one that was the number one place to get married in the United States. And I turned the turnover from 100% down to under 10%. So I'm not just talking from a driver's perspective, but once you have the driver in the door, I called it individual management. And I had 75 employees at one time. And, uh, and once you learn that, I don't think, except for one person, uh, uh, Jack Gyllenhaal, I believe it was, as a driver manager, would call me up and ask me how I was doing. And mm -hmm. 
you know, it's very rare that you get that type of interaction. I believe that if the trucking industry really wanted to retain the drivers, they would individually manage their drivers and just not mass manage and then wonder why they walk out the door. I don't know how many times a trucking company has that person, the vice president, the president, maybe just below that can really, if a driver gets really upset, you know, and they they come in and I'm going to quit, then they have somebody there to try to talk the driver out of it. But if you individually manage your drivers, no matter how big you are, it's, it's huge. It's been proven over. I don't need to tell anybody. Uh, Freightways has had experts on to talk about how much you can save. But if you have someone reaching out to those drivers and saying, hey, how's your day going today? You might be two weeks ahead of the game. And that driver may be going, I'm just upset. I, I hate this job or I hate this or my family life is this. And you get to know the person. You have to be more proactive than what this trucking industry is right now. And a lot of times you might not like the answer, but you're not going to like the answer when they come in and say they quit because almost any driver would have a job already lined up or or the company can see the driver is looking because law states that if I'm going to look for another job, even if I'm employed, my my employer, my current employer can see that I'm actively looking. You need to get to these drivers before they get to that point. That means investing in some people that actually not just a driver manager. <laughs> these young kids, they're great. And, and, and what happens for the driver managers is if, if they show any type of, you know, they're, they're really good at what they do, they move up the ladder very quickly and out the door. Then they bring in a new driver manager. You need to get someone in there or a group that reaches out to these drivers on a continuous basis, get to know them. We all have our different wants and different needs. It's such a simple thing to do. Just call your drivers and ask how they're doing. And so it, it's it's sort of alarming that that doesn't happen on a regular basis. So uh, that that that's um that that's a big hurdle. I think a lot of companies should uh, overcome fairly soon. And it's very easy. The good news is that it's very easy to fix. So from uh, you know sort of a long story made short, just treat your drivers with respect and check in on them from time to time. And and I think that as of, you know, sort of COVID has taught us with everybody working remotely, you need to make that extra effort to reach out to people individually because you're not seeing them on a daily basis. And it's similar to how, you know, sorry, your people managing with your drivers as well. You got to be able to check in on them and see how they're doing. And so uh, knowing all of that and knowing, you know, how sort of drivers can be treated better from, from both an onboarding perspective and a retention perspective, and then also respecting their time and energy that they put into their content. Let's go back to the Highway to Health campaign. And so for viewers who didn't watch What the Truck yesterday, make sure you go back and watch that because it's a really great interview talking about all of the cool things that you're doing out there on the road. But for folks who who haven't seen what's going on, give us a a quick rundown of, of what this campaign is all about. Yeah. So, uh, after the pandemic and, and, and we're still in it, but, uh, I had worked seven months and two weeks straight. I was kind of bragging about it on, uh, on my pages. And I just spent almost the entire 2020 inside the truck. And anybody who's been out there knows that, uh, the, the trucking, the truck stops have really hurt to try to get employees. A lot of things change restaurants closed. I always ate really healthy at the buffets. You know, you can't find a buffet anymore. September of 2019, my blood pressure was 120 over 61. When I was in Boise uh, two and a half months ago, I was at the VA getting a very large lump on my neck, which I had to take care of there, just making sure it wasn't cancer. But my blood pressure was 202 over 110. And my cholesterol was 300. These are really, really bad numbers. And if I was, they wouldn't have given me a DOT card anyways, and it was stayed high. So I knew I was going to have to do something. And, And you know what? My social media has kept me honest. I don't want to be the person having a stroke and keeping it secret. 
So I decided um, after some thought, like, how can I get back healthy again? And that's where I decided a cross country tour, bicycle tour would do just that. And I started in South Haven, Michigan, and uh, I went up to, I went over the bridge on Sunday. I did spend three days uh, relaxing, doing some interviews, but really they were time off. My legs were killing me. I got back at it today. I'm near 400 miles done out of 2,400. And I've really been doing lives every Wednesday on my trucker page, talking about trucker health with St. Christopher Truckers Relief Fund and Julie. And uh, we've been talking about how can we all stay healthy in the truck? Because I failed at it miserably. And we've been talking now, we've done two on Trucker Wayne, but we're really trying to keep truckers healthy and keep them in truck and don't be like me. I, I love it. Such a great initiative. And even though it started off a little bit scary for you health-wise, now you, you're back on track and you're spreading awareness to, to get healthy again. So where can, where Wayne, where can everybody find and follow your work on, on this journey? Yeah, I have too many uh, social media pages to mention, but basically <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn, uh, Trucker, or yeah, the Trucker Wayne, Wayne Craig on Facebook and Wayne Craig Photography. Now, Blythe, I need to tell you that you talked me into this. I'm getting everybody to follow my journey. It's way too much time, but I've started a photography page, WayneCraigPhotography.com. And I'm getting everyone to know my, yep. And I'm getting everybody to know the journey. They want to follow me. And about two weeks to maybe a month, I'm going to filter everybody from my pages into my website. And I got that from you a few months ago. Take control over my content. Thank you. It was probably the, I spent money, quality money on a good thing, but I, I just felt like if I didn't have people following my journey and throw it all on the website, now I'm saying, hey, here I am. And then I'm going to slowly say, you're going to start seeing on LinkedIn, hey, I just posted something. Just have a one click to the website. Absolutely. Well done. It's a good investment into yourself and it's property that you own instead of these other social media platforms where you don't necessarily own that platform. So I appreciate your time today, Wayne, uh, and and we'll be watching your journey uh, from the comfort of our couches. But hopefully you'll you'll get us motivated to, to get out there and work out a little more. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, and I think you'll love another show I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here live on Freight Waves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you found in the show notes or again over on my digitaldispatch.io website. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust that folks like yourself will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleaven. I will see you real soon.